go. Thank you, Ron, for doing that. I'm excited to just hear from a lot of the different brothers that are going to be coming up and sharing Proverbs with us throughout the year. Excited. Let's just calm our hearts once again. Lord, just quiet our hearts, Lord, right now to receive your word. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. When you live a life of expectancy, anticipation, there's a tendency within you to not to waste time. When you know that there's things that are pending in your life, you know, you, you, you tend to just be um, just eager almost anxious to go about your business. And I know that some people, even in this room, they have jobs that but there's an amount, an immense amount of urgency because there's deadlines oftentimes. There, there's quotas that you've got to meet and there's people that are depending on you. And so your, your job, you're always like going, going, going because it's like, ah, if I don't get this done, who will? And so there, there's that urgency. Um, and, and as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about events. I don't know if, if you guys put on events in your life, but when, when there's an event coming up or, or you know, you're going to an event or you're putting it on or however, you're, you're, you're like focused. You want to be at this event. You need to be at this event. And, and, and it's like you're looking forward to this event. And as I was thinking about all that, it's like, man... There's no time to dilly-dally. You've got to focus. You've got you to set your mind straight because there's no time to waste. You can't just do other things because you have to focus. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about weddings. We've had to plan like two weddings in my family, not to mention 30-some years ago when me and my wife got married. You know, But some of you who have had to put weddings together, it's like, man, there's a lot of work to do. In a wedding, you know, as soon as the bride or the bride-to-be says, yes, I will marry you, you know, all of a sudden the planning starts. And a wedding takes like six months to a year to plan out. And man, there's so much to do, mainly on the girl's side. The guy just writes the check, but be that as it may. But man, you are looking towards that date. Time is of the essence, and it just seems like that day is looming over and it's approaching faster and faster. It's imminent. That means it's about to happen. Even if it's a year away, it's about to happen. And it's interesting because those on the outside who are not planning this wedding, man, they're going around just just about their business. No big deal. They're, they're, they're not struggling. They're not like worried. They're, they're, they're carefree. Even the people that are coming to the wedding... You know, that morning of when people are like all anxious because everything has to be perfect, the people are like, oh, I'll get there a little late, you know, sociably late, no big deal. You know, they're just like carefree. They're not worried about a thing. They're, they're out, you know, other people, they're, they're, they're just out driving around slow, lingering, going for strolls on the beach. In the meantime, you're going, ah, i got to pull my hair out because everything's got to come together, you know. People are taking naps and you're going like, 
how could you have time for a nap when my world is like so busy right now? Because something is pending in your life, but not in theirs. Expectancy, anticipation is a great motivator, isn't it? (laughs) It it keeps you focused on on, on what's ahead. You've got to get things done. There is no time to waste. And as I was thinking about just wasting time, I was thinking of teenagers, um, in a sense, because they love to sleep, don't they? They can sleep the day away if you let them. There's probably some adults here who probably, if you let them, they would sleep the day away too if they didn't have some urgency in their life, right? But teenagers, man, they, they just like, uh, one o'clock in the afternoon, jeez, man, how come I got up so early? But you know, those same teenagers, if they have something going on in their life that they want to get together with their friends, it's like, man, they're up, man. They're like moving, man. They're like waiting for you in the car going, Mom, Dad, come on, hurry. So-and-so's waiting. And there's an urgency in that sense now. But normally there is no urgency for those guys. There's no time to be lazy. <laughs> when others don't share your, expecta- or your um, expectancy, if, if, if they don't share in that same feel, you know, you, you kind of almost feel anxious, you know, because like they're not in a hurry, but I'm in a hurry. And anyways, things, things just get crazy and their urgency is not your urgency and they're, you're on two different planes. And so as Christians though, as Christians, we are to live with expectancy. The Bible tells us that we are to redeem the time because the days are evil. And that was written two, 2,000 years ago, that the days were evil. And if the days were evil 2,000 years ago, how much more so are they today? How much, how, how much more evil is there today that, that we don't have time to waste time? You see, there are people who have no clue that the end of all things is at hand. And they're strolling around, they're walking around like, like nothing is pending. And yet we ain't got time as Christians to stroll. We don't have time to just sleep the day away. Not while it's day. We have to do the work that we have been called to do. And so there's an urgency in our life. And Peter, in the portion of Scripture that we're going to be covering this morning, Peter has this, this urgency. There's an essence of a shout with him to the Christians of the day back then to wake up in light of the times. In light of what's pending, what's going on in our lives right now. He says, there's no time to waste. And he wrote that so, so long ago. And so how much more should we be paying attention in the day and age that we're living in? First Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll cover 7 through 11 this morning. Therefore, since Christ also suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. Also with the, mind, with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our t- past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles, when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. 
In regards to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this reason, the gospel was preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Verse 7, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Going back to verse 7, where we're going to start. <clears throat> Peter, as he's been kind of sharing with us uh, just the urgency that's, that, that, that was pending in their life through this book, he gets to verse 7, and he says, But the end of all things is at hand. The Amplified puts it this way, But the end and culmination of all things is now come near. It is here. It's so interesting that the Christians that were living in that day believed that Jesus would return at any moment. They were expecting his soon return. And and Peter is no exception as he's writing to them. He has this urgency within him. And those believers of that day, it wasn't so far removed, but they're thinking, yes, Jesus is coming back. They had no doubt about it. And they were living as if it was all going to culminate in their lifetime. As if it was all going to conclude in their lifetime. They they weren't dilly-dallying around. They were about the business of the gospel. You see, the persecution had started. And so, man, more so, they thought, man, with that persecution coming, he must be at the door. You see, Peter was there when Jesus was taken up in Acts chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I'm going to read it to you in a bit. But he was taken up, or or Jesus was taken up right in front of him. And he expected Jesus to come right back. Now, at the time of this writing here, it's been about 30 years since he saw Jesus ascend up to heaven. But he still had that expectation and that urgency that was just welling up within him. And so in Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 9, it says, Now when he had spoken these things, when Jesus had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, Men of Galilee, why are you standing why do you stand gazing up into heaven the same jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven 
Can you imagine being there? As Jesus has been speaking to you live, and all of a sudden he begins to descend. I mean, what an amazing thing. I mean, can you imagine being there and all of a sudden talking to Jesus like, oh, is he getting taller or what's what? It's like, what the heck? He's leaving. This Chris Angel? What the heck? And, and all of a sudden, he, he just begins to go up and up and up. And all of a sudden, you're going, guys, are you guys seeing what I'm seeing? This was an incredible sight. And as he's being taken up and a cloud catches him, uh, 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 these, these men, these angels are standing there and saying, hey guys, hey guys, why do you guys keep on looking, man? Because he's coming right back. And they're thinking, well, should we just stick around? Or what, what would we do here? Because he's coming right back just the way he did. I, I want to see that too. If I saw this guy take off, I want to see him come down. And so they were excited. They were anticipating Jesus coming right back. And it's interesting because every Christian generation expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime. Every Christian generation, and we should not be any different. We should be expecting him to return at any moment. Because what these angels said was not a lie. They weren't saying, hey man, let's just say this to make them feel good, that he's coming right back. No, it was imminent. Jesus would be coming back at any moment. And so when he said, the same way you've seen him come, he will come back down. You see, Peter said this uh, in Second uh, Peter 3.8. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. You see, it's just been a moment since he took off. It's only been a couple of days. Since he took off in God's economy, he doesn't see days the way we see days. And so when he ascended, man, he is ready to come back down. It seems like it was just yesterday or two days ago. And so it's no big deal for him. See, my salvation from this world is one day closer than it was yesterday. And it's 30 some years closer than it was when I first got saved. And we should be just as excited today about him returning than, than when he said this 2,000 years ago. You see, there's so many people who have grown weary because Jesus has not come back in their lifetime. They've been, they've been saying this for so long and people are expecting to come back and all of a sudden it's like, man, oh man, he's taking a quite a long time. How long have you been saved? 10, 15, 20, 30 years? That's not that long. Not when you, you, you factor in eternity not been that long. But yet people in this day and age, it's like, man, he hasn't come back. And they just kind of get lax. But his coming is imminent. It is at hand. It is about to happen. It's only been two days. He says, therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Because of all things that all things are, are, are at hand, the end of all things are at hand, he says, therefore, be serious. Be watchful. Boy, did Peter understand this. He understood this because he had failed big time at one point. When, when, when Jesus was in the garden, when he went to the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, they, they had been there before. It was a place where they would go and hang out. But this time, Jesus, they went off over there and, and all the disciples went with him and he took Peter, James, and John and went a little further with them and he told them, hey, I need you guys to pray and watch so that you don't enter into temptation. And guess what? 
Jesus goes away and he comes back and he finds them sleeping. They didn't take it serious. Well, they were tired, of course, but they didn't take it serious. They weren't watchful. And so three times that happens. Jesus wakes them up and says, you guys are still sleeping? Come on. And he goes off and he comes back and they're sleeping again. These guys didn't realize that Jesus would be dying tomorrow. They didn't realize that. You see, Jesus always went off to pray. And I'm sure this wasn't the first time that he told them, hey, why don't you guys sit and pray lest you enter into temptation? And they're going, yeah, yeah, Jesus, you go on pray. We'll, we'll be praying here with our eyes closed, taking a little nap, getting, catching up on some Z's here. You see, to them it was no big deal because Jesus always went off to pray. What was the big deal this time? Well, other times, Jesus, when people asked him about his return, he says, my hour had not come, has not come. But this time, that night, he had said, my hour has now come. See, he gave them a clue. Hey, something's about to happen here. But you see, it didn't click with them. To them, it was just the normal. Jesus is going to go off to pray. We'll be sitting here sleeping. He'll going to come back and he'll wake, wake us up. See, he had warned them that he was about to die, but it didn't even, they didn't even catch on. If they would have known that he would be dying that next morning, do you think they would have just fallen asleep the way they did? Absolutely not. If, if they knew for sure, hey, Jesus told us to watch and pray, to be serious about this because tomorrow he's dying, guys, I could guarantee you they would not have slept a wink. They would have been praying hard. They would have been like in the Spirit constantly knowing that, you know what, there's, a, there's something about to happen and so there's no way, you know, if, if Peter was going to be like dozing off, it's like, hey, wake up, Peter. No time for this. This is important here. They would not have fallen asleep. They would have taken it serious. They wouldn't have taken it so lightly like they did. So I think that as the Lord revealed to Peter here to write, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Peter is sharing this with some passion, understanding how bad he had messed up in the past. And he was not going to let that happen again. He understood the seriousness in his heart. He had that urgency behind these words that he is sharing. Again, I think people, Christian people, they, they, they get lazy, they get lax because they say, man, people have been saying that the end is near forever. And, and when we're still here, it doesn't even look like it's going to end that quick. And so they become lazy and comfortable. And we don't have that same urgency that we once had. But it's urgent. His coming is at hand. It is imminent. I think what happens is that as Christians, people, again, have been saying this for so long that they get disillusioned even. Oh, they still want to walk with Jesus, but eh, about that soon return thing, I don't know. And they start to think, well, what if he takes another thousand years? Again, guys, that's not a long time for, for God. Oh, you won't be here to see that. But you're not even promised tomorrow. 
Not one of us is promised tomorrow. We might go to meet him instead of him meeting us. And so again, there has to be this urgency that should be in our hearts and lives daily. If you knew for sure that today was your last day, if you knew for sure that tomorrow morning you will not be waking up, I could almost guarantee you that your prayers would be different right now. You'd be so serious right now. You wouldn't have time to dilly-dally. You wouldn't have time to just like, I think I'm going to take a nap. No, there would be such an urgency for you because you knew that tomorrow morning, man, you'd be in His presence. And, and, and while there's, there's time to work, I'm going to work, Lord. I'm going to do all I can right now. We would be so watchful and serious, wouldn't we? <laughs> Verses 9, 8 and 9. As he's shared that the end of all things is at hand, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And then he says, and above all things... Man, that sounds like he's getting even more serious. If he's just told us <clears throat> that we need to be serious in, in our prayers, he says, and above all things, you're going, whoa. He says, and above all things, have fervent love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Man, that, that, that sounds even more urgent because he says, above above all things, before all things, on top of everything else that I've just shared with you, on top of that, have fervent love for one another. That word fervent means intently, deep, without ceasing, have this kind of love for one another. It carries the meaning of one who, who strains, who stretches. And, and it carries with it like an athlete as he's running, he's sprinting, and he sees the finish line and he stretches to get himself over the finish line. He, he, there's this fervency, there's this, this intensity that he wants to win. And so he's just running, 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 and he just breaks through, you know. That's what this kind of fervency means. It's that kind of intensity. You see, a, a sprinter is different than a, a marathon runner. A marathon runner, he has to kind of watch his pace. You know, he's, he's like limbering up because he knows that for 26.2 miles, man, he, he has to keep pace. He's not going to take off fast. Let the other idiots take off fast. I'm just going to kind of just chill. And then I'm just going to... But a, 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 a sprinter, man, that guy, man, his, his muscles are like tense, man. They're like built for, for speed. Right? And man, they are so stoked, man. They are so intense because even as they're getting into the blocks, man, they're like, ah, oh, it's like, just, just shoot that gun, man. I am so ready to go. And it's like, man, they even do like false starts because they're like, I'm going to time them. And, and, and man, there's an intensity, right? You see, not only when they're finishing stretching at the finish line, but even in the blocks, there's an intensity for them. Can you imagine? Being a sprinter and going, ah, I'm going to get into the block. Oh, jeez. Oh, man, I'm so out of shape. I'm talking about myself right now. But um, it's like, ah. Oh. And it's like, oh, I don't know, man. I'm just going to sit here for a little bit. It's like, unless you like, like to lose, don't get in the blocks. Not if you have that kind of attitude, right? That there is no intensity. It's like going to like marathon running. Do not be a sprinter. Not on my team, because you will lose all the time. 
You see, a sprinter, man, has this intensity about him. And guys, that is the kind of intense, fervent love that we are to have for one another. Isn't that amazing? You should almost be like, hey, Zeke, can we just stop right now so I can just love on my brothers and sisters right now? That's intense. That's how intense I have love for one another. You keep on talking, Zeke, and man, this intensity might wear out. It's like, no, (laughs) I'm not going to stop. But have that intense love regardless. That's, That's what he's talking about. Have this kind of intense love. You see, this kind of intense love, Jesus had this kind of intense love. We should have this intense love for one another that we give it our all, everything. I want to love you guys with everything I've got, you know. I want to be intense about it, you know. And you guys are going like, yeah, I'm not that intense on that kind of love. You know, it would have been a drag if Jesus just had that, that eh, I don't know if I can love him that much. You see, Jesus had an intense love for, for the world. He was so intense in his love for the world, that he gave everything. He didn't hold that one bit back. He didn't say, I'm only going to give them 50%. I think that would suffice. That would be good enough. No, Jesus didn't. He, he didn't say, hey, I, I just want to be mediocre in my love for them. I really don't have this fervent desire or love for them. I just have like a strong, whatever, liking for them. No. Jesus gave it all. He had this fervent love for one another or, or, or for, for the people that we should have that kind of fervent love for one another. You see, love is what defines us as Christians. Not, not reading is what defines you as a Christian, which is good, but that doesn't define you as a Christian. Wow, look at how much you read. Or going to church, that's, that's not what defines you. No, Jesus said, what defines you is your love for one another. Isn't that amazing? He says, by this, all will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And Peter is saying, man, have a fervent love. Have an intense love for one another so that you're not holding anything back, but you're loving continuously. This is my heart for you, man. You're antsy about, man, I just want to love my brothers and sisters. I just want to show that love to them like Jesus showed to me because he held nothing back in my life. He's given all his love for me. All the love that Jesus has, he poured into me. And he says, that's the same kind of love I want you to have for one another. I want you to have that fervency, that intensity for one another. You see, the law of Christ is different than the law of Moses. The law of, of, of Christ, man, it, it, that's what defines us. When, when Jesus was asked, what is the greatest commandment? You see, the people who asked him, they were waiting for a definition from the law of Moses. Which commandment should I keep? <laughs> Which was like the top-notch one? And Jesus didn't, didn't go that route. He says, let me show you or tell you what kind of commandment is the most important. He says, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He says, then the second commandment is just like it. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. On those two hangs all the law and all the prophets, he said. Love. Love God with everything you've got. 
Be so intense with your love for God that it will spill over in how you love one another. To have that kind of intensity, the same kind of love that God has for us, that we would love one another with that. You see, when we do that, we're fulfilling the law of Christ in our lives. And I can guarantee you that if you are exercising this love, the love of Christ, I can guarantee you that you will be able to forgive any and all sins against you. Why? Because Jesus loved us so much that he forgave any and all sins against us. When we have that kind of fervent love that he had for us, then nobody is able to just destroy us because they've sinned against us. No, we will love them. We will forgive them. Proverbs ten twelve says, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sin. See, that's what, that's what he was quoting here. He is quoting Proverbs. Some of you guys were here a while back when we went through the book of Philemon. It's just one chapter. We were in it for like 12 weeks. But it was amazing. I, I, I so dug that book. Because the theme of that book and the message of that book is love exemplified. And you read through that book and you, see, you just see love, love, love exemplified. And the underlining theme and or message of that book is Christian forgiveness. If you're going to love, then you have to forgive. If you're called to love, then we are called to forgive automatically that's the way it goes. If you say, man, I love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you hate your brother, it says that you're a liar. Because you cannot not forgive if you say you love. If you say you love, then you ought to automatically be forgiving one another. It goes hand in hand, guys. You can't say that you love and you can't forgive. Impossible. They don't go together. They go hand in hand. If you say you love, then automatically you will be forgiving. You see, when you love like Jesus loves, then you have to forgive just like Jesus forgave. How much did he forgive you? How much? All of it, right? (laughs) Every part of you. Man, if you started thinking of your sin, not all of them, man, we'd be here all day. This is like this past week. Some of you are going, no, this morning. Just counting up all those this morning, it's like, that's enough, Lord. You forgave me for everything I've ever, ever, ever done or will do. So why can't we have that same kind of love that he loves to forgive? That's what he's calling us to. He's calling us to forgive one another. You see, love does not condone sin. It doesn't condone sin for if, if we love someone, then we will be grieved to see them sin. It will hurt us to see them destroying themselves and or others because we love them enough to go and talk to them. Open rebuke is better than silent love, it says in Proverbs. No, we, we, we don't condone sin. No, we... we we're to cover sin, it says. Love covers sin. 
in that love motivates us to hide the sin of others. Hmm, that's interesting. Hide the sin of others? Are we to, to like shout it out from the, hell, from, the, from the rooftop when somebody is sinning? It's like, really? If, if, if people knew that you were sinning, would you want everybody to know what you were doing? Like, no. No, we, we want to, we're not to spread other people's sin around. We're to protect one another. So, so what are you saying, Zeke, that we can't tell each other what the other person is doing? It's like, well, what's your motivation behind it? To spread lies? No, not lies. Maybe it is true. But are you just trying to destroy their reputation? Is that what it is? Because if you're not doing it in love, then you shouldn't be talking about other people like that. Oh, I just want other people to pray. Oh, prayer gossip. That's what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I didn't talk, I, not, not like that. <laughs> Again, we've got to be careful. We've got to be protecting each other because we're not about to or should be airing everybody else's dirty laundry out there in the guise of, well, I just want them to pray for him or her. It's like, you know, you wouldn't want people doing that to you. If somebody knew that you were sinning and messing up, you you know, and they came to you, it's probably because they love you. And they're saying, hey, man, quit. You know, I, I see you're doing this, man. I want to help you. I want to come alongside of you. But then you go around and you tell, hey, man, did you hear what so-and-so is up to, man? And did you hear what so-and-so... Uh, it's all for prayer, right? All of a sudden, man, they're going, dude, why are you, why are you going around telling everybody what, what, what I'm doing? What's up? You see, Proverbs eleven thirteen says... A talebearer reveals secrets, but he who is of a faithful spirit conceals the matter. Chapter 17 of Proverbs, verse 9. He who covers a transgression seeks love, but he who repeats the matter separates friends. Again, what's our motivation? Is it to cover a multitude of sin or to spread everybody else's dirty laundry? Where there is hatred, there is malice. And where there is malice, it causes us to tear each other down. Malice will cause a person to tear another person down. It will cause them to, to ruin that brother or sister's reputation. And it only leads to gossip and slander. We, we have been called to edify to build up one another, not to tear down and destroy one another. You see, love builds up. Hatred tears down. And Jesus said that a house divided cannot stand. And see, we're, we're, we're part of the house of God here, you know. And again, every one of us deals with stuff in our lives that if people knew, man, they'd like, hmm. And it hurts. Because every one of us battles with, with sin. But we are to be there for one another, not to expose them so that we can like show just how wicked they are. I can't believe how bad those people are. It's like, well, let's turn the mirror on you. And let's start exposing everything that you're into. Man, you're going, oh, geez, well, wait a minute. You see, sin looks worse on everybody else than it does on you. 
And you want everybody else to cover or to show love so they can cover the multitude of your sins. Guys, let's be careful. Let's be careful in all of this, you know? Because we are a part of the house of God and we are to be watchful or serious and watchful even in our love for one another that our prayers may not be hindered. With all the evil in this day and age, people need to have more love, not more evil and hatred. Love is what will win them over. Not spreading gossip. Not, not, not spreading hatred towards them to ruin them. And if you're going to be throwing out love out there like that, the, the love of Christ fervently, then bring along some hospitality with it, <laughs> it says. And be hospitable to one another without grumbling. You know, in that time period that these, these, these people that he's writing to, as persecution was coming their way, they were having to flee certain areas. And it was such a welcome thing to be able to, to pass by a brother or sister's house and, 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 and say, hey, come on in, man, we'll, we'll, we'll house you for a while. Come on in, come and live with us. Here, here's some food as you, as you continue on your journey. See, there was that hospitality that was going on because there was a lot of persecution that was going on. And so they were to be hospitable to their brothers and sisters. Verses 8 and 9 in the Amplified goes like this, But above all, above all things, have intense and unfailing love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins, forgives and disregards the offenses of others. Verse 9, practice hospitality to one another, to those of the household of faith. Be hospitable. Be a lover of strangers with brotherly affection for the unknown guest, the foreigner, the poor, and all others who come your way who are of Christ's body. And in each instance... Do it ungrudgingly, cordially, and graciously, without complaining, but as representing Him. Man, that's what we should be doing. Verses 10 and 11. It says, as each, one of, as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. As good stewards of the manifold grace of God, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. God is a giver. He is totally a giver. He has always been a giver. He will always be a giver. And he loves to give his children gifts just like a father would. Just like a father loves to give his kids gifts. James tells us in, first, or in James 1.17 that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Man, he is such a giver. And it's interesting, the word gift here is an interesting word in the Greek. And it's one that I can pronounce. Um, this word gift is charisma. And we get our word charisma from it. And it alludes to charm, personality, appeal. But it comes from another root word in the Greek, which is charis. And the word charis is grace. It means grace. 
And we should all know that grace is the free gift of God, which means it's unmerited favor. There's no way you can, you can work for this. It's a free gift. And all of God's children have received God's grace, charis. We've all been given that. If you've accepted Jesus into your life, then He has poured out grace upon you. He's given you charis. But also, all God's children have received God's gift, charisma. We all have charisma. (laughs) You're going, uh, I don't. (laughs) It might be different than other people's charisma, but He has given everybody that free gift. That free gift, because it says it here that each one has received a gift. And I don't know what each gift is in other gifts, because this one gift, everybody has. He has given it to everybody. Everybody has received the grace of God and they've, the, the charis, and everybody has received the charisma of God as well, that gift. And so, we are to use this gift. It's interesting that the Apostle Paul had to tell Timothy as he's writing to him, hey, stir up the gifts that, is with, that, that are within you. Or stir up the, his, your gift. And I want to do that with you. I want to encourage you. Stir up the gift that is in you, that he has given you. Because again, I know that some people go, well, I, I don't have any gifts. I don't know what my gifts are. It's like, well, you at least have one gift that we've just read about here. Use that gift. I want to encourage you to use that gift because you've been given charisma. Some kind of charisma you have. (laughs) Some kind of personality you have. Some kind of charm or or, or, uh, appeal. You have some... I I know some of you guys are going, no, I'm like totally charisma-less. It's like, oh no, every one of you has some kind of charisma because he's given it to you. And there are other gifts that, that God calls us to use for His glory. I, I, I know what my gift is in that sense. I have the gift of gab. Might, the, might be the Greek word for talking a lot. <laughs> gab. But I know that, that He has called me to speak and to teach. I know that kind of calling. But first and foremost, I have the gift of charisma that He has given me, that free gift that we can use, all of us. You see, there's other gifts that we can use. And if you're in a place where you're going, well, I don't know what I have or don't have. Well, use that one at least. It tells us here that he has given everyone a gift. And if you just have the free gift of grace, then share that gift with other people. Show grace to other people. What an amazing gift. (laughs) If that's all you've got... (laughs) the gift of grace, then share that same kind of grace that been, that's been afforded to you, that's been given to you. Show that to other people, even if they don't deserve it, because that's what grace means. You don't deserve it, but you get it anyways. So why don't you treat people with that kind of gift? Now, these other gifts <laughs> that, that people will say, well, I, I don't know what other gifts I have or what I've been called to. To that I would say, what is your personality like? What is your charisma like? Start there. You know, what, 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 why don't you, as, as you ask God, as you seek God and His Word, 
Lord, how can you use who I am? <laughs> the way you've made me, how can you use that? And, and, and as you're asking him, it's almost like, Lord, where would be my comfort zone to, to share my gift with other people? You see, maybe that's where you need to start. Because you, you're going, well, I don't know how to share the gift of grace. Well, share it. Just love people. Be used in sharing that. You see, as, as you get involved using the gift that he's given you, the places that you might be comfortable in, then as you're being used in that area, then I would start to pray, Lord, take me beyond my comfort zone. <laughs> and oftentimes that calling, man, totally goes against what you thought you would ever be doing. You know? All of a sudden, you're, you're, you're being used in ways that you're just kind of getting blown away. And so he has given us those kinds of gifts. He's given us the gift of grace, but he's given, and he says, use these gifts, the ones that you receive, to minister to other people. You do Be a good steward of that. And that, that, that word minister, as he says minister, it, it means to, to serve others. We get the word deacon from that word serve. To minister. The word minister also means to be an attendant, to wait upon, like a like a servant, like a, a waiter. We have been entrusted with gifts, and we are to be faithful to use them for the glory of God and for the good of the church, as good stewards. If anyone speaks, he says. If you have the gift to be able to speak, use that for the glory of God. You see, there, 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 there's gifts that, that people are in front of people and there's other gifts that people are behind the scenes. But they're all gifts. And so he kind of mentions here that, that there are gifts that people can, can serve others and there's gifts that people can speak to others. And people say, well, I can never speak. It's like, well, be used behind the scenes. There's a lot of ways to be used behind the scenes. Not everybody is called to be the same thing or to do the same thing. But whatever we're called, we're called to be stewards. We're called to be ministers. And a steward is one who serves as a house manager. He has no wealth of his own, but distributes his master's wealth according to his master's will and direction. You see, if you're, you're a servant of God, then it's like, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? And in that, you go and be obedient to whatever he's called you to do. We are to encourage one another always. You see, God is the one who supplies these gifts. And if he is the one that supplies these gifts, he gives us the ability to minister those gifts. All you have to do is just be obedient to him. And so if he does it all, then it's only reasonable that we give him the glory for everything. <laughs> Isn't that right? And I love the way Peter closes off here. He kind of gets excited here. He has this intensity about him that he kind of gives us a short little benediction here because he's so excited about what he has just shared with them that he writes, To whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. He just like gets excited. It's like, heck yes! Yeah. Amen. 
So he gets a little excited too. <laughs> Amen? Let's close in prayer. Let's stand as we close in prayer. There's going to be people down here for prayer team. If you want prayer for anything, or maybe God's just ministering to you in this particular area, come and get prayer for, for that. Don't leave here without it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for your faithfulness, Lord. Thank you again, Lord God, for, for just giving us your love, Lord, for revealing to us, Lord God, that we need to walk with intensity, that there is a time coming that you will come back, Lord, and it could be at any time. Lord, help us not to be lax. Let us not be comfortable. Let us not be sleeping, Lord God, while there's work to do, Lord, in you. Jesus, I pray that, God, you would just give us that intensity to love one another, to be fervent in that, Lord, to love one another, Lord God, that you, the way you've loved us, Lord, that we would desire to lift other people down and not tear them down, Lord God. Lord, please, Lord, just help us in those areas things that you want to use us in, Lord God, let it be for your glory. Oh, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, Lord. I pray that you would go with my brothers and sisters and just encourage them. Lord, if some need prayer today, Lord, I pray that they would not be held back. Lord, that they would come up and, and just receive prayer, Lord. And I pray for the, those on the, on the prayer team right now, that they would be serious and watchful as they pray, even over the people of this church, Lord. I thank you for their hearts, Lord God, to be there. And so, Lord, please use just the prayer teams to minister to one another, to show that love to one another, Lord God. And I praise you and I thank you, Lord. Go with us now, because you deserve the glory, the honor, the praise. And we bless you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, guys.